Hello, and welcome to In Conversation With, a podcast from The Lancet Oncology. It's February 2023, and I'm Allie Landman, the Deputy Editor. This month, I'm speaking with Dr. Valerie Spears, Professor and Chair of Molecular Oncology at the University of Aberdeen in Scotland, whose systematic review titled Defining Genomic, Transcriptomic, Proteomic, Epigenetic, and Phenotypic Biomarkers with Prognostic Capability in Male Breast Cancer is published in our issue this month. Dr. Spears, thank you for joining me. Thank you. Pleasure to be here. So to start, why did you decide to look at the molecular landscape of male breast cancer? And what are the research challenges in this area? Yeah, okay. So I'll I'll maybe take the research uh, challenges question first. So for for decades, really, um, male breast cancer has been understudied. And luckily now things are starting to change. But with only about 400 men receiving a male breast, a diagnosis of male breast cancer in the UK every year, that really limits the numbers of samples that are available from research. And obviously, we can't really change that. So it makes it rather challenging to study something as rare as male breast cancer. That said, um, there's been real progress over the last decade or so. Lots of uh, collaborative consortia have been set up, and that's allowed uh, scientists and research labs like my, my own um, to establish uh, really quite decent numbers of male breast cancer, so in the, the hundreds, um, which allows for more robust um, experimentation. So why did we decide to look at the molecular landscape? Um, we recognise that there have been lots of narrative reviews on male breast cancer. And, you know, there's hardly, you know, a month or a couple of months goes by that one of these crosses my desk, you know, I've been asked to review by, by a journal. But these are all pretty much the same. You know, they don't offer anything new. They tell us that male breast cancer is rare. It's ductal phenotype, almost universally ER positive, more research necessary. But, but we know all that information and we really don't need any more uh, narrative reviews to be telling us this. So what we decided to do in, in our paper was to really look a bit more critically at research papers that had been published that had studied male breast cancer, to find out more about the types of studies that have been done, and then really to try to distill the information um, from these um, as a way of trying to identify uh, knowledge gaps that existed in male breast cancer and potentially identifying areas for, for future research. That's great. That provides a great introduction um, for you to now describe the salient findings of your Mm. systematic review. Were there any surprises? And what do you feel are the most important biomarkers to prioritize for further study? Yeah, of course. So in our systematic review, we identified papers, um, 197 papers that had studied prognostic biomarkers in male breast cancer. And that was across the whole range. So from uh, phenotypic information, genetic, epigenetic, transcriptomic and and proteomic data. Um, And that was from 92 to uh, uh, 2021. Um, So across a a 29-year period. Now, as you would probably expect from a hormone-dependent disease such as as breast cancer, um, many of these had studied um, hormone receptors, so estrogen receptor, progesterone receptor, and unsurprisingly, expression of these was associated with better survival, and that's the same as what we see with with, uh, breast cancer in women. Um, But there's also um, articles looking at androgen receptor 
Interestingly, the findings with androgen receptor were more contradictory in terms of outcomes. And that was, we noticed that across most of the categories that we examined, um, not just at the, the level of protein expression. So I think um, there's definitely scope to, for us to be digging a little bit more deeply um, to find out the role of androgen receptor in male breast cancer if we can target this therapeutically. In fact, we're already doing so in prostate cancer. There's good uh, drug targets, things like enzalutamide and abiraterone. But interestingly, in breast cancer, if we're thinking about targeting the androgen receptor, it appears, at least from what the laboratory studies are telling us, that rather, rather than trying to block the activity of the androgen receptor with an agonist, we should actually be looking at agonists. So definitely more scope to, to find out more about what's going on with, with androgen receptor. We also noted that um, with cyclin D1, um, that was also showing some contradictory data. Survival was improved when it was looked at the protein level, but opposite um, when we looked at it at um, the uh, genetic level. And it's quite important that we find out more about cyclin D1 because we now have um, cyclin D kinase inhibitors, notably the, the CDK4 and 6 inhibitors, things like uh, palbociclib. And these already have been improved for use in metastatic male breast cancer. But there could be an argument that these should be used a bit more widely um, in men, um, but really to find out a little bit more about these pathways. So, so um, these are areas that, that, that should be looked at. Another thing that, that came out was the molecular subtypes in male breast cancer. So for a long time now, we've known that there are molecular subtypes in female breast cancer and um, distinct groups which can dictate treatment and, and also outcome. And we know that some studies have categorised male breast cancer into different subgroups. These, again, a little bit contradictory and our work suggests that there's probably room for improvement um, and refinement in looking at these studies. And I don't mean maybe necessarily by doing experimental studies, but looking at the data that's been developed and is now available publicly in public repositories and using that information to see if we can um, identify uh, different molecular subtypes um, for male breast cancer, which could um, be used um, to help um, uh, dictate treatment and, out and, and outcomes. So something else that came up was ethnicity. We know that the incidence of male breast cancer is some two to two and a half fold more in, in black men than it is in Caucasians. But really, so far, no molecular studies have looked specifically at this to sort of dig down a bit deeper and find out um, what might be going on. There were three biomarkers that came up that showed uh, prognostic potential in male breast cancer. They were done in sort of fairly small studies of, of male breast cancer. These are these, and these three biomarkers are STC2, DDX3, and DAC1. And now that we have larger cohorts available, there's probably room for further validation of these. Now, I don't think these in themselves would act really as drug targets, but they could provide um, additional prognostic information um, for, for patients. And, and just finally, we want to really have a deeper understanding of the functional role of some of these pathways, some of these biomarkers that were identified. And in order to do that, we really need to have um, laboratory models of, of male breast cancer. And that's something that's that's completely lacking. There is scope to, to develop these. But as I said earlier, there, there are certain challenges. The number of male breast cancers that are diagnosed are quite small. And, you know, in a big hospital like um, the one that I'm associated with, we might only see two or three cases a year. So it makes it difficult um, to, to be developing these models. So as you've alluded to this earlier, what is the clinical importance of the molecular differences 
found between female and male breast cancers? Yeah, so I think the first thing I'd say to that is that we shouldn't just be restricting this sort of narrative to breast cancer. There's a growing interest in um, sex differences in cancer in general, and that's evident in terms of the incidence of different types of tumours, mortality, uh, expression of prognostic biomarkers, response to therapy, patterns of metastasis. And it's likely that, maybe not in all, but certainly in some instances, that these differences could be harnessed um, to good effect. We're all now very familiar with terms like um, personalised therapy, precision medicine, call it what you will. Um, And I see this as just being an extension of this. To to give you an example, for male breast cancer specifically, um, we showed in in a a publication a few years ago that male breast cancer overexpressed proteins that were involved in the translational initiation pathway notably um, a molecule called EIF4E, and that was an independent predictor of reduced survival. And we're then really fortunate through collaboration with an Italian group, we were able to um, study samples from a male breast cancer patient who had been treated with an investigational combination of drugs which, which actually target this pathway. And in that patient who had um, had these drugs, the there was a marked reduction in, in the EIF4E molecule uh, plus improved survival. So as we showed in that work, knowledge of, of sex-specific molecular profiles could certainly allow for things like drug repurposing in patients who relapse in first or, or, or second-line therapies. It's not to say that the biomarkers are exclusive to, to male breast cancer. It's just that certain molecules are expressed um, in, in different levels compared to female breast cancer. And we should probably be thinking about using these maybe in smarter ways than we have been up till now. That's very interesting, your point about um, how sex differences mm. are part of personalized medicine. Yeah, I mean, there's there's increasing interest um, in that and how we should really be, you know, thinking about sex differences as well as just treating, you know, a cancer. Yes. So along those lines, um, you mentioned in the paper the importance of inherited BRCA2 mutations for prognosis, but that mm-hmm. men at high risk of breast cancer due to family history are not yet offered screening. Mm-hmm. So we wonder why not and what needs to change? Yeah, I mean, um, the BRCA2 or germline mutations in in the BRCA2 gene are are the most frequently reported um, pathological variations in male breast cancer and and they significantly increase the risk of male breast cancer. So a sort of population level, the risk of of breast cancer in men is about 1.1%. But if you have a mutation in the BRCA2 gene, that that, um, increases to about 7 or 8%. And there are drugs available that target tumours which have BRCA mutations, and these are things like the PARP inhibitors. And actually, last year, some work from our group outlined the, the, the value or the potential value of using uh, PARP inhibitors such as Olaparib um, in the clinical management of BRCA mutated malignancies. And that, of course, includes male breast cancer. But really, at the moment, the evidence-based guidelines um, or the evidence-based guidance um, for this sort of thing is lacking. You 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 asked about um, screening and why men are not screened for for BRCA two. I think that's a very good question. Perhaps because men have a much lower risk than women have of developing uh, breast cancer due to a BRCA mutation, they might be more likely or they might be less likely to be tested. And I suppose if you consider the pathways to screening as well, in order for a man to be screened, he has already um, have to have had a relative with cancer 
having a positive um, diagnostic blood test to show that they have um, a, a cancer risk gene such as, as, as BRCA. And then they could ask to be tested, you know, through the usual sort of GP uh, re referral routes. But yes, it's it's certainly something that's that's interesting to 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 consider because many men do have a, a BRCA mutation but might never be aware of it, and they can pass it on to to their their offspring, um, in the same way as uh, as women can, and and also um, I guess BRCA mutations have been associated with a higher or linked with a higher instance of other cancers in men such as prostate cancer and so much so that it's it's being it's being uh, proposed in the literature that, that men who are over the age of 40 and have previously been uh, shown to have a, a, a BRCA2 mutation uh, should be receiving regular PSA, PSA tests um, to monitor the potential um, onset of prostate cancer. That's very interesting, thank you. So some of the prognostic biomarkers you discuss have potential value as druggable targets. Mm. So what can you tell us about current and future clinical trials in, in male breast cancer? And how can we increase participation of men with breast cancer mm. in clinical trials? Yeah, so historically, um, men with breast cancer have been excluded from from. The, the very large um, numbers of breast cancer clinical trials that have been done, you know, over the, the last you know, two or three decades, um, it's always been an exclusion criteria. You know, men men are, ju are just not part of it. And luckily, that's now starting to change. Inclusion criteria are being widened to include men. There have been previous trials specifically aimed at men, but um, unfortunately, they've often closed early uh, due to poor or slow recruitment. And there's certainly been a few examples that I can think of um, over the years that, that that where that has happened. However, because male breast cancer is almost universally estrogen receptor positive, endocrine therapy is the sort of go-to um, standard of care. And just on the basis that, that it works well in women, but, but men often report rather more unpleasant side effects. And, and there's often a sort of a lack of compliance with, with using tamoxifen. So to address this, um, a couple of years ago now, there was a group in Germany who um, conducted a phase two clinical trial and they were measuring uh, changes in the levels of circulating hormones, so estradiol, in men with breast cancer who had received six months of endocrine therapy, so either an aromatase inhibitor or, or tamoxifen, um, plus or minus a gonadotrophin-releasing hormone analogue. And as well as measuring uh, the circulating hormone levels, they also uh, assessed quality of life through a questionnaire. And what this showed, and this was in, I think it was about 50 patients across different centres in Germany, and this showed a sustained reduction in estradiol levels in the group that had received the aromatase inhibitor or the tamoxifen in the, pleasant, in the presence of the gonadotrophin-releasing hormone analogue compared to um, tamoxifen by itself. And the decrease in estradiol was associated with poorer quality of life. Um, so things like low moods, uh, decreased libido and things like that. Back in 2010, so um, over a decade ago now, um, the EORTC International Male Breast Cancer Pooling Project launched. And the aim or part of the aims of that study was to have a, a clinical trial, especially for men. But what, they, what they've managed to do rather than running the trial is to create a registry of men who were diagnosed with breast cancer. And that registry was open for, I think it was around about 
just just short of three years. And the idea was that these men were on this registry and they could be identified if there were any um, suitable trials that came up that they could be included. But, I mean, certainly from my interactions with men who have been diagnosed with breast cancer, they're absolutely desperate to be included in trials. They want to know more about male breast cancer. They don't want to be treated in the same way as women. They want specific research to be done on male breast cancer. They don't just want, you know, to be surrogates of a, a disease that's largely associated with women. So I think, you know, the will's certainly there. I don't think participation would be an issue um, for these men. I think it's probably very much up to the clinicians that are treating them to make sure that they're included, invited uh, to participate um, in the trials. Because these are the, the things that are going to um, eventually inform the standard of care for men with breast cancer. And, and that's something I think that really men, men want. Absolutely. Well, thank you very much for speaking with, speaking with me today, Dr. Valerie Spears. Thank you very much. Yeah, it's been, it's been my pleasure. Thank you for inviting me. You can read Dr. Spears' article online now at thelancet.com. Thank you to Dr. Spears, and thank you for listening. You can subscribe to In Conversation with The Lancet Oncology wherever you usually get your podcasts.